0: This podcast is brought to you by the Reformed Witness Committee of Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Walker, Michigan. It is our goal to spread our distinct Protestant Reformed views based on the Word of God and the Reformed Confessions. We hope that this message is edifying to you. We read from God's Word this evening in Jeremiah, the prophecy of Jeremiah. We begin reading it in chapter 8, Jeremiah 8, verse 18. And we read through Jeremiah nine, verse 16. Jeremiah 8:18 8, is where the section begins. And we read through Jeremiah nine verse 16. Jeremiah is called a, or the weeping prophet. He wrote also the book of Lamentations, and here. As we often find Jeremiah in his prophecies, he is lamenting the sin of Judah. When I would comfort myself against sorrow, my heart is faint in me. Behold, the voice of the cry of the daughter of my people because of them that dwell in a far country. Is not the Lord in Zion? Is not her king in her? Why have they provoked me to anger with their their graven images and with strange vanities? The harvest is past. The summer is ended. And we are not saved For the hurt of the daughter of my people am I hurt, I am black. Astonishment hath taken hold on me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then is not the health of the daughter of my people recovered? Oh, that my head were waters. And mine eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. Oh, that I had in the wilderness a lodging place of wayfaring men, that I might leave my people and go from them. For they they be all adulterers, an assembly of treacherous men and they bend their tongues like their bow for lies. But they are not valiant for the truth upon the earth. For they proceed from evil to evil, and they know not me, saith the Lord. Take ye heed, every one of his neighbor, and trust ye not in any brother, for every brother will utterly supplant, and every neighbor will walk with slanders. And they will deceive every one his neighbor, and will not speak the truth. They have taught their tongue to speak lies, and weary themselves to commit iniquity. Thine habitation is in the midst of deceit. Through deceit they refuse to know me, saith the Lord. Therefore thus saith the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will melt them, and try them. For how shall I do for the daughter of my people? Their tongue is as an arrow shot out, it speaketh deceit. One speaketh peaceably to his neighbor with his mouth, but in heart he layeth his weight. Shall I not visit them for these things, saith the Lord? Shall not my soul be avenged on such a nation as this? For the mountains will I take up a weeping and wailing, and for the habitations of the wilderness a lamentation, because they are burned up, so that none can pass through them, neither can men hear the voice of the cattle, both the fowl of the heavens and the beasts are fled, they are gone. And I will make Jerusalem heaps, and a den of dragons, and I will make the cities of Judah desolate, without an inhabitant. Who is the wise man that may understand this? And who is he to whom the mouth of the Lord hath spoken, that he may declare it? For what the land perisheth, and is burned up like a wilderness, that none passeth through. And the Lord said, Because they have forsaken my law, which I set before them, and have not obeyed My voice, neither walked therein, but have walked after the imagination of their own heart, and after Balaam, which their fathers taught them. Therefore thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will feed them, even this people, with wormwood, and give them water of gall to drink, I will scatter them also among the heathen, whom neither they nor their fathers have known. And I will send a sword after them, till I have consumed them. We read that far in God's holy and inspired Word. On the basis of that portion of God's Word as well, So, on the basis of the teaching of all the scripture, we have the teaching of the Heidelberg Catechism. Lord's Day 43. Lord's Day 43. The Heidelberg Catechism explains the ninth commandment Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. It asks, What is required in the ninth commandment? The answer that I bear false witness against no man, nor falsify any man's words, that I be no backbiter nor slanderer, that I do not judge nor join in condemning any man rashly or unheard, but that I avoid all sorts of lies and deceit as the proper works of the devil unless I would bring down upon me the heavy wrath of God. Likewise, that in judgment and all other dealings, I love the truth, speak it uprightly and confess it. Also that I defend and promote as much as I am able, the honor and good character of my neighbor. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, this evening we consider the Heidelberg Catechism's explanation of the ninth commandment, Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. And we do so as a lament. We do so along with Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, who sorrowed over what the catechism calls. All sorts of lies and deceit. And that even in the church. In the book of Jeremiah, the prophet preaches to the apostate church, Judah. Either the church that is on the verge of being apostate or or already apostate. And he bewails the sins of the church. Yes, in particular, the sin against the ninth commandment. There is a cry, he says in verse 22 of chapter 8, Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then is not the health of the daughter of my people recovered? And there, Jeremiah is not merely thinking upon the wounds that he himself and others have faced of others slandering and others attacking him and them with lies. But he's thinking about sin itself. He's thinking about the sins of God's people as a whole. He's thinking about the individual members of the church who have the wound or a disease of sin, yellow with infection, and the soul. He's thinking about spiritual weakness and sin. Is there no balm? He is saying. Is there no medicine? Is there no physician? Why is there no healing of the spiritual diseases and the spiritual wounds of the people, of the church? Oh, yes, he grieves the consequences that are coming, the Babylonian captivity. But he greets first the sin of Judah, the sin of falsehood, sin against the ninth commandment. Notice verse 2 of chapter 9. They be all adulterers. He means spiritual adulterers. And then to describe the specific sin that he'll go at length to explain in the next verses after verse 2, an assembly of treacherous or deceitful men. Such was Jeremiah's lament of Zion's spiritual disease. Beloved, you are not apostate Judah. It would be a misapplication of this text and a breaking of the ninth commandment itself to say that you are apostate Judah. It would be what the catechism calls a rash judgment. And yet at the same time, having said that, God has revealed to us as a church that our sins... Are much like apostate Judah. We must, each one of us, repent of all sorts of lies and deceits and falsehoods and backbiting and slander and rash judgment. They exist. The message of Judah, say of Jeremiah, is they exist within the church. Lament. That is, repent. The law of God should bring us to our knees in lamentation, on our knees before the cross of Jesus Christ for mercy. Perhaps more than any other commandment, more than any other commandment, our churches have seen the breaking of the ninth. We've experienced that firsthand. It has been committed against you, and you have committed the same. Jeremiah, remember, is not lamenting in this way. Oh, how they have wounded us. Though that was the case. But we have wounds. A spiritual wound. We have broken the ninth. Knowing our free forgiveness. in Jesus Christ, we willingly lament our sin. And knowing the free forgiveness of Jesus Christ we then out of thankfulness and by the power of His Spirit of truth do what the Ninth Commandment commands us. Avoid all sorts of lies and deceit. and Love the truth. Speak it uprightly and confess it. Let us consider the instruction of Lord's Day 43 on the Ninth Commandment from the viewpoint and the perspective of Jeremiah 9. The theme, lamenting, falsehood in Zion. First, the basis for lamentation, which is also the basis of the ninth commandment. Second, the falsehood in Zion, where we go through the different kinds of sins, of falsehood against the ninth. And third, the mercy of God to his people. The question that gets us to the basis of the ninth commandment, one way to express the question that gets us to that basis is this, why does God hate falsehood so much that he thunders from Mount Sinai and he speaks authoritatively from his word, thou shalt not bear false witness, why does he give that command? Or we can put the question this way that gets us also to the basis. Why is sin against the ninth commandment so lamentable, so grievous that Jeremiah wept and wept and felt that he had not wept enough? There are two answers, which are two explanations of the basis behind the ninth commandment. The first answer is that God is truth. It's the first simple basis behind the ninth commandment. I said that on purpose in that way. God is truth. God does not merely speak the truth, he does. He not only has the truth in himself, he does. He's not only the source of all truth, he is, but he is truth. He is truth. It is his very character. Verity or veracity is who he is. We say, God's Word says He is the one true God. And by saying that, one true God, Scripture does not merely mean that all other gods are false, and He is the only one who is true. It means that, but more. It means that the very character, the very being of God is truth. And so, children, to help you understand that, one day we're going to go to heaven We are God's people. When we get to heaven, there in eternity, we will learn more and more about God. I mentioned that in my prayer. We'll learn more and more about God. That will be heaven's joy. We'll gaze upon His face and we'll learn more and more exhilarating knowledge about who He is and what He has done. But as you gaze upon this wondrous, bright, glorious, infinite God, full of virtue. Here is what you will say. I see truth. I see truth. I see truth. Truth everywhere. Truth. And only truth. Because God is truth. He is the God that cannot lie, Titus 1, verse 2. Impossible for God to lie, Hebrews 6, verse 18. Yes, children, you want to know something God can't do. And that doesn't reveal any weakness in Him, and yet He can't do it. He cannot lie, because to lie would be to deny Himself. He is truth. He is truth. Father is truth, the first person of the Trinity. Psalm 31, verse 5, Thou hast redeemed me, O O Thou God of truth. Son is truth, the second person of the Trinity. He said, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth. I am the truth and the life. And the Holy Spirit is truth. He's called the Spirit of Truth by Jesus Christ in the same chapter of John 14. And in 1 John 5, verse 6, we find this. The Spirit is truth. And now you know the simplest and most profound basis and reason that God forbids what He does in the ninth commandment. And why Jeremiah weeps and weeps with such grief when the ninth is broken. Because falsehood opposes God, who is truth. It does not only attack his law, it does. It does not only attack his church, his people, it does. But falsehood attacks his very being. False doctrine doesn't merely lead sheep astray, it does. Slander doesn't only hurt me and you, it does. But falsehood is a direct assault against God, the God of truth. Jeremiah gives a vivid illustration, and the illustration is meant to bring it home to us. In verses 3 and 6, he compares the tongue to a bow, children. Think of a bow and arrow. In verse 3 and 6, he speaks of the tongue as a bow and falsehood as an arrow that is strung in that bow and shot out. And yes, indeed, it shoots at other people. Jeremiah is saying that we are like enemy soldiers shooting arrows with our tongues and with lies and falsehoods that kill There's something about a bow and arrow, though. Children, think about it. When you aim at a target, you always aim upward, at least a little. You need a little lift to get that arrow there. Every falsehood and lie is like that. It's not only aimed at others, but it's always upward. That's the trajectory. First, against the God of truth. Lament. Lay down your shields of self-defense. It's not about RPs and PRs. It's not about who shot the most arrows and which ones were sharper, and which was tipped with more poison. Lament, beloved, of your own falsehood. It's that we have attacked God with our sin. What is the basis of the ninth commandment? Why does God forbid it? Why does Jeremiah lament over it? Because God is the God of truth. But secondly, the basis is the devil is the father of the lie. The devil is the father of the lie. The devil is a liar. His very name, devil, means slanderer. In our ongoing series of sermons in the, in, in the Gospels, we recently saw the devil called the tempter and we saw the temptations that the devil brings are all about lies, showing what is good to be bad and what is bad to be good. Jo- Jesus said in John 8, 44, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Though he is not equal to God, far from it, and though he is under God's sovereignty, thankfully, he is opposite and he is opposed to the God of truth, for he is the liar. The catechism describes him as such When it explains, I avoid all sorts of lies and deceit as the proper works of the devil. The word proper means fitting or belonging. When falsehood comes from my mouth, I don't blame Satan for it. I may not. I'm responsible for it. but it fits. That's the idea of proper works. It fits with the devil's work. It fits with his agenda. And his agenda, as you know, is to attack and oppose the God of truth. Back to the illustration of the tongue as a bow and arrow, which Jeremiah shows us. When we speak lies, we not only attack God as though we are His enemies, But we behave as though we are back on Satan's side in support of his kingdom. And the fiery darts that he shoots are coming from our own tongues. No, you are not on Satan's side. Don't get that message. You're redeemed, you're delivered. Don't doubt that, but lament and weep that after the God of truth has been so merciful to deliver you, you would behave as Satan's supporters against the God of truth. That's what we do when we break the ninth commandment. Jeremiah lamented, we lamented remember not merely because of the consequences we remember, lamented for sin for sin itself we can distinguish between two kinds of falsehoods which jeremiah lamented and we should lament there are falsehoods first of all that are against true facts and falsehoods that are against true doctrine They're not separated, but we distinguish the two to help us be comprehensive here. True facts, I mean by that, truths that are about this creation, truths about another person, truths about what He really said yesterday at work to you when no one else was around. Truth about what actually happened in the consistory room a couple of years ago. Truth about what happened at classes. Truth about children, young people, where you went with your friend last night. We break the ninth commandment when we skew the facts. When we twist, when we hide, when we cover up the truth when it ought to be told. When we come up with false narratives that tell the story, well, mostly correct, but slightly different from what actually happened in order to promote a certain side for ourselves and bring down another side for other men. That was what was going on in Jeremiah's day. Notice verse 4. Every brother will utterly supplant And every neighbor will walk with slanders. To supplant is simply this. To supplant is to get a position above another. The office of another, or perhaps unofficially, and the reputation of another. And so we skew the facts. We tell a little lie to make the one we want to beat look bad, and to make ourselves and our side look good. This has happened. It happened in Jeremiah's day. It has happened in our day, in our church. Against true facts, but secondly, a second kind a falsehood which Jeremiah lamented, we should lament, is against true doctrine. When we teach error, when we hold to it, when we defend it, we write it, if we preach it, the inaccurate explanation of God's Word, intentionally done sometimes, And even unintentionally, is in some way against the ninth commandment. In Jeremiah's day, this was happening. Verse 3 and verse 6 both speak about doctrine in terms of the knowledge of God. Verse 3, they are not valiant for the truth upon the earth. They proceed from evil to evil and they know not me. Deceiving themselves, they do not know God. Jeremiah says. And verse 6 is even sharper. Through deceit, they refuse to know me. That is a using, there is a using of deceit to cloud the truth and refuse knowledge in oneself. Or to refuse the knowledge of the truth in others and loved ones. That happened in Jeremiah's day. That has happened in the church. So great was the sin against the ninth commandment. that notice Jeremiah's great grief. So much so, he didn't want to stay. Verse 2. Oh, that I had in the wilderness a lodging place of wayfaring men, that I might leave my people and go from them. He didn't want to be in the church anymore. He preferred living in a tent, not with traveling men, but alone. As the traveling men, that's the idea. That seemed easier to flee far away. He didn't want to be in the midst of the fray, where arrows were shot in both directions, against each other and against God. I rather just get away from it all. that was his attitude. That was his grief. Beloved, I say this in love. This is not to beat you over the head. We must, daily even, as individuals and as a church, lament any sin against true facts and true doctrine. It's serious, remember, as arrows against the God of truth, as though we take Satan's side and attack God. I call you not only to lament, I call you to rejoice also in the forgiveness that he does give. But there is lamentation don't fight, don't fight about which doctrinal error was worse. Don't imagine that it was another error that was the only problem, though there was another error. Don't excuse and condone their own sins, by using another's sins. If you have already lamented and repented, as I trust most of you have, then good. You know the mercy of God's forgiveness. And I pray you're willing to acknowledge with humility your sin whenever it's brought up knowing with confidence your forgiveness in Jesus Christ. I used the word falsehood on purpose, falsehood in Zion, because it is a more general word, yet the best word used to describe the sin against the ninth commandment. The very commandment says, Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. There are varying degrees of falsehood. There's no doubt about that. As with every sin, there are some sins that are greater than others. But what we call sins of lesser degree still deserve judgment. They're still sins. They're still to be lamented of. But all kinds of sins, whether worse worse, or lesser, are sins against the ninth commandment and sins against God. Negatively, the catechism guides us in different kinds of falsehoods to forbid them that I avoid all sorts of lies and deceit. Words of the ninth commandment itself speak of bearing false witness. Sometimes that concept of bearing false witness is used to be synonymous to perjury, that is, the willful lying under oath in court, perjury. So that whether it be a secular court or it be an ecclesiastical or church court, if one swears to tell the truth and only the truth and then speaks a lie, that is perjury, that is, bearing false witness. But it's important to note that the phrase bearing false witness is not exactly synonymous to perjury. It's not. Bearing false witness is not necessarily always under oath. Bearing false witness is to simply give a false testimony. That's the idea. Whether you're under oath or not. And it specifically refers to giving a false testimony before judges. So, when a sexual abuser or any criminal works with his lawyer to plead not guilty because he knows that the jury will never find the evidence that is private the crime he kept well hidden he is still bearing false witness even if he doesn't swear an oath if you come to the consistory room and the judges the elders of the church representing Jesus Christ Christ ask you a question of whether you have sinned in this or that manner or any question and you say i don't remember When you do, even if you're not under oath, you directly break the ninth commandment. Thou shalt not bear false witness. And Ananias and Sapphira, as you know, did that before office bearers in the church. And Peter said, Thou hast not lied unto men, meaning not merely to men, but unto God And you know what happened after that. To bear false witness is to come before any judge which God has appointed to speak falsehoods to them. But of course, the ninth commandment is not only to bear false testimony before judges which God has appointed. The ninth commandment forbids any falsehood, even if it's not before any judge. There is lying. That three-letter word. L-I-E. That's not the only way to break the ninth commandment. But it is a way. Commonly defined. A lie has three elements. First. It is to communicate what is not true. Whether by speaking, writing, texting. And so on. Second. There is a willfulness, a deliberateness to speak that which is not true. And thirdly, it includes an intent to deceive. There's a goal in mind to lead astray. When you use that word, it is commonly understood as including those three elements. Speaking what is not true, doing it, knowing the truth deliberately and with the intent to deceive. Some have used the word simply including the first element. That's it. Communicating something that's false. What you said, they say, was a lie. We can debate words for a long, long time. But it's sufficient to say that not everyone who tells a falsehood should be quickly accused of lying. Because the implication is that there was intentional deception. To lie is against the ninth commandment. Having said that, to speak a falsehood, though it is not necessarily lying in the definition I gave you, to speak of falsehood to some degree, to some degree, no matter how small, is still against the truth and an infringement of the ninth. Even if we unintentionally speak of falsehood, <coughs> holding to it, in ignorance, as many Arminians do, in ignorance... They speak about choosing Jesus Christ as that which determines their salvation in ignorance. It is still a falsehood against the ninth. I'm certain, beloved, that you can find phrases in many sermons of mine, in this very sermon, that are not quite accurate, which is a concrete way of showing you that though the main points might be true, this sermon too is tainted with sin, including sin against the ninth because of my weakness. And that is true with regard to all of our life as we go through life, that there are sins, falsehoods against the ninth, the Catechism brings us to a few more we must recognize as breaking the ninth, falsifying any man's words or to twist man's words. So a man says in a sermon or in a formal informal conversation, "God forgives only in the way of repentance." And to falsify that is to take it and interpret it to say, he means repentance is a condition for forgiveness. Or, man says in a sermon, or in a conversation, good works are not necessary for salvation. And there is a twisting of that. He said, good works are not necessary at all. Such are examples of breaking ninth. Backbiting and slander, the catechism lists. They're similar. Slander is more broad. It refers to an attack of another's reputation with a lie. Backbiting is more narrow. It is a kind of slander, but it's to attack another's reputation, sometimes with a lie, sometimes with a truth that would hurt his reputation which the catechism forbids as a breaking of the ninth as well and backbiting in distinction from slander is done in private behind another's back the catechism also speaks of judging or condemning any man rashly or unheard the catechism is not saying that the ninth commandment forbids judgment we may judge we ought to make judgments. Jesus said in John 7:24, judge righteous judgment. But rash judgment is that which the ninth commandment forbids. Rash judgment. Swift to speak in condemnation without hearing the facts. Without first repenting of your own sin. Using suspicions as the basis of your judgment rather than facts. Exaggerated judgments. As I said, there are degrees of sin. Call sin, sin. Yes. Call lust, lust. But we better be careful. That we do not exaggerate it so that we say, for example, that someone who lusted after a woman is guilty of having intercourse with her. Obviously, that is an exaggeration. Though Jesus does say he has committed adultery in his heart. So also with any judgment we make, there is the possibility, yes, of minimizing the sin. That would be a breaking of the ninth commandment. But also of exaggerating with extreme characterizations. That is, against the ninth commandment as well. And then don't miss this, to join in. To join in condemning any man rashly. Not only condemning any man rashly, but joining in. Joining in. That is to quietly join a group And you yourself do not slander. And you yourself do not condemn rashly, personally as an individual. You don't speak up against it either. You make yourself one with them. That too. is connivance, it makes you complicit in the breaking of the ninth commandment. Positively, the Catechism says, keeping the ninth commandment includes in all judgment all dealings, I love the truth. I speak it uprightly and confess it. Loving the truth includes studying the truth. Not neglecting the reading of that truth in God's Word first, in other good books. Working hard, children in catechism. Studying in Bible society. Loving the truth means studying it, learning it, growing in your understanding of it, not saying, I already know all the doctrines, I've taken all the catechism classes, I don't need to grow anymore. That itself is false. Think on the truth. Whatsoever is true, Paul says in Philippians 2, think on these things. Loving the truth means defending it. In defending the truth, you defend God. Defending it includes speaking against that which is false. It includes speaking against a man or a woman who may be teaching that which is false. Not to call him or her names. Not to bash people or denominations. But yes, to confess the truth over against that which is false. Defend it. Be valiant in it. Jeremiah 9 verse 3. They are not valiant for the truth upon the earth. They were valiant for something else. Themselves. Reputation. Reputation valiant for the truth that's loving the truth loving God and having said that that doesn't mean don't uphold reputation the priority is the truth you don't make the priority man's reputation your own or someone else's. And yet at the same time, while you uphold the truth, you also seek, as the catechism says, as much as I am able to defend and promote the honor and good character of my neighbor. Yes, reputation. Not my own. Yes, my neighbor's. I speak the truth and love for them. That's the law, isn't it? The law is to love God. That first, that's the priority in His truth. But also, out of love for God, out of love for my neighbor, and His name as well, it's part of loving Him. Don't think those are mutually exclusive, as though you can do one, not the other. Most of the time, beloved, it is the case that you may, and you can, by the grace of God, uphold both, both. That's the commandment. Included in the ninth. And then, when there are times when you have to tell your neighbor he or she is wrong, false, and call it what it is, yes, that is heresy. Not that you are a heretic, but what you just said is heresy. It's false. It's against the creeds. Then you say it, valiant for the truth. But not to be mean. And you're holding to the truth and speaking to the truth before the truth does not give you any excuse to destroy another person in his name. Jeremiah laments that the people of God in Zion in the church of his day did not uphold the ninth commandment. They broke it. They broke it. They did so intentionally. They taught their tongue, verse 5, to speak lies and weary themselves, even tire themselves out in practicing lies. And you and I must respond in humility. Self-righteousness is the worst lie The law is not meant to boost you and affirm you. Oh yes, it does point. It does point to others' sins against the ninth. And it does point to their sins against you. It does. But first, it points to us, to you yourself, to this church too, Which is supposed to be the pillar and ground of the truth, but has failed in many regards. Is there no balm in Gilead? No physician? No healing? There is. There's one balm. There's one healing, and that is the gospel, the gospel of God's mercy to sinners like us. The gospel is the medicine. The gospel is the physician, and the gospel heals every wound. And the gospel is not, the gospel is not that you have not been evil, or that you have not been as evil as they have been. The gospel is not that the more serious error is that antinomian one and not our own. The gospel is not that their backbiting and their slander and their schism is worse than ours. If that's the pill we swallow, that's not medicine. That's poison. That's more arrow flinging. Romans 3.12 They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. That applies to us. That's who we are by nature. Those are the kinds of sins we have committed. And this is the judgment of God, the Catechism says, would bring down upon me the heavy wrath of God. Verse 9 of Jeremiah 9, Shall I not visit down for these things? Shall not my soul be avenged on such a nation as this? A false witness, Proverbs 19, shall not be unpunished, he that speaketh lies shall perish. O oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. We deserve worse than a painful split. We deserve a split from God. Separation from Him eternally. And at the same time, while we lament, here is the gospel, the real gospel. Not we're better than them. God is merciful. I draw this out in verse 2 and verse 6. God is merciful to dwell with us in spite of our sin. That's the message of Jeremiah. He is merciful to dwell in the midst of a deceitful people. Remember Jeremiah in verse 2? I'd rather go in a lodging place out in the wilderness. I don't want to be with the people of God. I want to leave them, forsake them, And he said that in his weakness as a prophet. And God said to him in verse 6, notice the change of pronoun, thine. He's speaking directly to Jeremiah. Thine habitation is in the midst of deceit. You will dwell there. You will be there. You will bring the word to them no matter what. And Jeremiah as a prophet of God is a picture, a representative of Jesus Christ. God said to His Son, Thy habitation is in the midst of deceit. You will go there. You will dwell there. You will be in the midst of them. They will attack you with their lies and their falsehoods. They will shoot at you with their tongues, arrows, piercings of all kinds. They will deny you. They will betray you. They will accuse you falsely. And so he did. And while he did, he uttered not a single falsehood, only perfect doctrine, without a false fact, valiant for the truth, a heart with absolutely no guile, who said, I am the truth, and the way, and the life. And yet, This makes me shudder. He became sin for us. Who knew no sin? He took our falsehood as he dwelt in the midst of us. He was judged as an enemy of God, as though he shot arrows at the true God. He was judged as a snake with poison under his tongue. And cursed as a snake, the Son of Man lifted up like a bronze snake in the wilderness for us, an assembly of treacherous men. And having done that work, the same Savior did not cease to dwell with us. But having died, He rose again and ascended into heaven, and He sends His Spirit, He comes by His Spirit to still dwell with us here in the midst of a church torn by sin, our own sin. And he speak truth. Because he can only speak truth. Though you are sinners, yet sinners. Breakers of the ninth commandment. I will never forsake you. I will never leave thee. I forgive thee. On the basis of my work. And I will continue to dwell with thee even in the midst of a church who is guilty of breaking the ninth, And the result of God's dwelling here finally is not merely merciful forgiveness, but also sanctification. Verse 7. I will melt them and try them. For how shall I do Or what shall I do for the daughter of my people? You hear that? My people. They're still my people. Not every single one of them, but there's a remnant, the daughter of my people. And in my love for them, he is saying there, I will sanctify them. I will, like a purifier of metals, melt them, and it'll hurt, yes. And there will be separation, yes but it's to try them, to melt them down, to make them pure, holy, more and more in service of the God of truth, avoiding lies, avoiding all falsehood, and being valiant for the truth. That's the medicine. That's the gospel. That's what you need. Always need it. Lament before God for all your sins, including the ones against the ninth. And then rejoice in this. Though we are sinners, Christ came to dwell with us that we might dwell with God this God of truth. Amen. Let's pray. O God of truth and grace, we confess our sin. We lament the sins against us, not only, but more our own. Sins in Zion, sins in the church. It has been a place of arrows shot at one another and pointed with a trajectory upward against Thee. Forgive us. Forgive our self-righteousness. Forgive all our sins which the law, as it has that purpose, does reveal and drive us to see the gospel, to receive the medicine by faith, We hear the great Physician speak to us that He is the lover of our souls and does forgive us. A Lord, as He said on the cross, we often know not what we do. Forgive us as He prayed and raises up. Give us joy in our salvation. Though there is melting and trying Deal with us gently and heal us so that we might glorify thy name with truth and grace. For Jesus' sake, amen. Thank you for listening to this message. It is our hope that it was edifying to you. Please subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to them to be notified as future messages are published. We welcome you to join us on Sundays for worship at 9.30 a.m. and 5 o'clock p.m. You can find more information about us at our website, hopeprchurch.org. Also, you can follow us on our Hope Protestant Reformed Church Facebook page. And you can email the Reform Witness Committee with any questions or feedback at hoperwc at gmail.com. Thank you.